Thank you so much. The Lord is holy, right? Welcome, friends. I'm extend my welcome to all of you who come today and those who are joining us online. Wonderful to see you. Now let's take our Bibles. Let's turn to the passage that uh, Jake read for us, Ephesians chapter 4. And if you're our guest this morning, welcome. So wonderful, so wonderful to have you with us. But we are uh, in a series here from uh, Ephesians chapter 4. We're calling it Life Together. Life Together. What it means to truly be the church, to live as the church. And having said that, I want to invite you to be a part of our family gathering this evening, 5 o'clock. We'll have some more sharing about what it means to be part of the church. And we're excited to welcome some new members in that service and handle those matters and then have a some time of refreshment afterwards. I hope that many of you will be able to come for that. And then also, if I might, as you're turning there to Ephesians 4, just uh, ask for you to pray for me and Susan over these uh, next several days. Uh, we're going to be uh, leaving tomorrow. We're flying uh, uh, destinations, Romania. We're, uh, uh, we have wonderful partnership there. We have had for a number of years. Many of you are aware of that. Uh, but we have the opportunity uh, to meet with about 100 pastors that serve around that nation and workers. I'll be doing some uh, teaching uh, in breakout sessions with some of the pastors about intentional discipleship. Susan will be uh, teaching and with, uh, women that are there involved in ministry. And then we'll have a number of uh, joint plenary sessions where I'll be uh, sh- sharing about overcoming fear, overcoming fear, overcoming the virus of fear. I'm very grateful that the series that uh, about a year and a half ago I was able to do, we called it Corona Victus, Overcoming the Virus of Fear, a little book that we were able to uh, have prepared for that, blessing of Lisa Stillwell, but we've been able to translate that into Romanian. And so we have a hundred copies of that that we're taking and be teaching from that. So we're looking forward to this opportunity. First time a lot of these uh, brothers and sisters have gathered since COVID. And also specifically pray for them because it's been a very challenging time. You may not be aware that one and a half million, 1.5 million Ukrainians have fled through of Romania because of the warfare that has uh, been there in Russia and the Ukraine. So uh, they have had a challenging season, and we hope that we'll be able to be a, a blessing and encouragement. I know they always are to us, so we would appreciate your uh, prayers for that. All right, now let's uh, turn there to Ephesians chapter 4, and we are in a series Uh, called Life Together, and if you'll look at chapter 4, verse 1, there is a a key phrase there that Paul uses to set up this whole transition in his thinking as he's speaking about the subject of the church. Ephesians is the great work in the New Testament having to do with the church. The first three chapters are about the wonders of the church, the glories of the church, Incredible grace that God has poured out upon us as individuals uh, to bring us to himself and to bring us together as this body of Christ. It's amazing. 
And then, beginning in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul kind of takes us from the heavenlies and he, he puts our feet uh, firmly planted on the ground. And he says, now, because of your high calling, you need to make sure you're involved in the right kind of living on this earth. And he says, walk worthy. Do you see that? Walk worthy. And you might remember that idea of walking in a worthy way has as a core the idea of a balance. This is what you are. Now live like that. Live out who you really are as the church, the people of God. And very importantly, he says, now do that together. You see, it's one thing to live together with Christians we don't know. <laughs> it's wonderful to think about the church in the heavenlies. I, for many years, have chuckled over this little statement someone wrote. To live above with the saints in love. Oh, won't that be glory? But to live below with the saints we know. <laughs> Now that's another story. <laughs> I think we can identify with that, right? But the reality is, what Paul is saying, yes, we can. Yes, we can live together, this life together, because of who we really are in Christ, by God's grace. And by our willingness to actively participate, we can experience this incredible reality of life together. Now, remind you four qualities that Paul covers in this chapter of this life together. is life together in unity, verses 1 through 6. It's life together in purpose. Verses 7 through 16, that has to do with the giftings that God has given to us and how we use them for the building up of the body. And then last week we began life together in freedom. Life together in freedom. This freedom is a gift. It is Christ who has freely set us free, right? But this free gift that we have, we must battle to maintain it. And it's not to battle each other. That's part of the problem. It is to battle in our own minds for this freedom. The battle for freedom is fought in our thoughts. It's fought in our thoughts. And notice in verse 17, that's where Paul goes. He, in verse 17, says that we should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. He's talking about thinking is where this darkness and where this light also can be found. Notice verse number 21, he says, assuming that you have heard about him, about Christ, you were taught in him the truth as it is in Jesus. Notice, he's talking about the mind. He's talking about thinking. The battle for freedom is in our minds. It's in our minds. That's where the battle is. And so Paul 
contrast now, this is the key. He says there's two kinds of thinking you've got to understand that are going on in your mind and you have to understand the battle and this is where the battle must be fought. There is the battle of B.C. thinking. <laughs> before Christ, before you knew the Lord, there is that manner of thinking and some of it is still there in your brain. He says you've got to battle against that. But you also have this A.D. thinking. You have this new life in Christ. You have this reality of the Lord who has entered your being. And your mind needs to claim and live the truth of your identity in Christ. So Paul says we have to reject this darkness of our before Christ reasoning. Notice he said it's, it's reasoning of emptiness. Verse 17, he says, don't think like that, that futility. It, it doesn't deliver what it promised. He said, don't think that way because that leads to the hardness of your heart. He says, verse number 18, this darkened their understanding. These are people who are still in the bondage and where we weren't, once were. He said, it, that Futile thinking darkened their minds and then brought on hardness and then deadness, callousness, given over to every kind of sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of iniquity. He says, this is what before Christ's thinking has been. And he says, that is what you are no longer. You must understand that's before Christ. But by God's grace, and it is all by God's grace, He shined His light into this dark mind of ours, right? Amen. He caused just the same one who caused the light to shine in the darkness has shined into our hearts to bring the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's that AD. If you are a Christian, there's BC, there's AD. You may not know the exact date or the exact time, but if you are a Christian, you have been born again. And there is a way of thinking that went before. But now there's a new identity you have in Christ. This is who you are. And you must think this way. Because it's who you really are. This is Paul's point. So he says, you've got to embrace this light. Embrace the light of this A.D. reality in your life. Who you really are. Now look at verse 20. He says, that is not the way you learned Christ. You didn't learn Christ according to that old darkened and hardened and deadened way. So futile. You've, you didn't learn Christ that way. Now I want to stop here because when Paul says you learned Christ, there's nothing like this ever found anywhere else in the Greek language. Not, even, not just in the New Testament Greek, but anywhere in the Greek language because it doesn't say you learned about Christ. He says, 
this is how you learned Christ. (laughs) And the idea here is that you learned into Christ. That there is a knowledge that you have of Jesus that is real and alive. It's not just cerebral thinking. It's the reality that you have experienced Christ. This is... Basically, salvation. Salvation is to learn Christ. What did Jesus say? This is eternal life. John 17, verse 3. That they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. He said that is eternal life. That people would know Christ. If you're a Christian, you have learned Him. You know Him. It's, it's amazing here. He, Paul sort of describes it as believers have been enrolled in the school of Christ. <laughs> Do you notice this? Verse 21. It's the school of Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him. We're taught in him. As the truth is in Jesus. As Christians, we are in the school of Christ. We have learned Christ, and how many of us know we're still learning Him, right? We've learned Christ, and what is the school of Christ all about? Well, the school of Christ is this. Jesus is the education. That's what the the school of Christ is all about. It's Jesus is the education. Jesus is the teacher. Look, verse 21, you've heard Him. You've heard him. And again, it's not that you heard about him. What what Paul is saying here is amazing. By the Holy Spirit and by the word of God, you have heard Jesus. Isn't that amazing? The Spirit of God, by the word of God, can speak Jesus to our hearts. He says you have heard him. He's the teacher. And in the school of Christ, Jesus is also the subject. He's the subject matter. You're taught in Him. You're taught in Him. I remember back when I was a boy, those old gospel songs that we sang, more about Jesus would I know, more of His grace to others show. More, more about Jesus. How many of you want to learn more about Jesus? No, we need to know more about Him. We're in the school of growing in grace. He's the subject. And Jesus is the truth. In the school of Christ, He's the education. He's the teacher. He's the subject. He's the truth. Notice what it says. As the truth is in Jesus. The truth is in Jesus. Now notice, friends, what it does not say. It does not say that Jesus is a truth. And it does not even say that Jesus is true. Most certainly he is. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says Jesus is the truth. The truth is in Jesus. My friends... Paul, in a companion letter to the Colossians, said, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
My friend, it doesn't matter how much your education is. If your education, whatever it might be, does not lead you to a greater understanding of Jesus, quite frankly, pardon me, but you're just getting stupider and stupider. (laughs) Because Jesus is the truth. He's the truth. Today, what do we have? We hear it all the time. My truth. My truth. I know this, people say this, and people say that, but this is my truth. Friend, what we've got to have is Messiah truth. Messiah truth. He is truth. Think of old Pontius Pilate. He asked the question, what is truth? And truth incarnate was standing right in front of him. Christ is all, friends. Christ is all. I love this old prayer of Patrick of Ireland. Yes, St. Patrick, but he goes all the way back to the 5th century. He was a missionary, gospel missionary to the tribes of Ireland. Amazing life. Here was one of his prayers that's been recorded, brought down through song through the ages. Patrick said, Christ be with me. Christ within me, Christ behind me and before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in hearts of all who know me, Christ in mouth and friend and stranger, Christ in quiet. And in roar. My friend, Christ is all. Christ is all. We must remember the light of the A.D. reality. The truth. To know the truth. And the truth will what? Set you free. It's knowing the truth. Embracing the truth. And so if we're really going to know the truth, that means that we've got to live the truth. What's Paul saying? Walk. Don't walk just knowing some things that are true about you. Walk out that truth that is true of you because of Jesus Christ. Listen carefully. The truth that we must live in Christ is the truth that we are alive in Christ. (laughs) We are alive in Christ. Look at verses 22 to 24. Put off the old self which belongs to the former manner of life. And it's corrupt through deceitful desires. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self. Notice that the new self created... After the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now notice here, there are three verbs here that share three realities. That It's real. If you're a Christian, this is real in you. Three realities. Number one, you have put off. It's aorist tense. It means something that's happened. It's been accomplished. Verse 22, having put off. Off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life. It's corrupt through deceitful, lying desires. 
the idea here is that this has actually happened. In Christ, you have been born again, remember? You have been given a new identity. You have put off this old person. You've become a new person. This has happened. Notice, it is saying that this new person, though, verse 23, is being renewed. (laughs) Is being renewed. That's the only time that verb is used in the New Testament. You're being renewed. There's a process. Something has happened. But now, you, this new person, are being renewed. It's an ongoing transformation. Now, friends, notice what it doesn't say. Sometimes we have to notice what the Bible doesn't say. It doesn't say you're being reformed. It doesn't say you're being recovered. It says you're being renewed. You are being made new on an ongoing basis. That's the reason I'm so grateful. One of our ministries here, the very name, Renewal. People who are in addictive behaviors, lifestyles, hurts, and hang-ups that have kept them in bondage. It's not that by God's grace and coming to that, they can just recover. No. When you recover, you're the same you used to be. You're just doing better. But when you're renewed, you're not who you used to be. You're not who you used to be. It is not true that you can, as a Christian... Sit in a circle and raise your hand and say, Hi, Sam, I, hi, I'm Sam, I am this. If you're not this anymore. The goal is you are not who you used to be. You're a new person in Christ. And you have this new identity and you've got to be renewing it. And the Holy Spirit, is, as you agree with Him, is renewing this new identity. This is awesome. This this is liberty. Number three, you've put off that old. You're being renewed. And now notice verse 24. He says, and put on, having put on. Again, it's aorist, past tense. This is an event that has happened. You have put on the new. You've put on this new self, this new identity. Created after the likeness of God. Notice, you are a new image bearer. You have been born again and you're being renewed. Spiritual formation is happening in your life. And you are becoming a new image bearer for the Lord. And it's being shown, notice, it's being shown in your righteousness. The way righteousness means the way you treat other people. And in holiness means how you're related to God. My friend, I want to tell you, that's an extreme makeover right there. Live your new life. Live the new you. Now, what's the perfect example of what I'm talking about here? What Paul is saying. doesn't matter if I'm talking about it or not. It's not, are you hearing Paul? <laughs> Who's talking by the Spirit. The perfect example of this, to me, is Jesus' last and greatest miracle. What was it? 
he raised Lazarus from the dead. You remember, he walked into that cemetery and he had intentionally waited four days. Because you see, the Jewish people believed then that the spirit hanged around, hung around the dead body for three days. And then when the spirit couldn't recognize the dead body more, it'd be gone. I know it's weird, but that was the tradition. So why four days? Jesus waited four days so people would know Lazarus wasn't just dead. He's graveyard dead. He's dead. He's dead and corrupting. And he said, take the stone away. And, it, and, and Lazarus, who's been dead four days, his sister about faints and says, oh no, Lord. It'd be a terrible, terrible odor. Lord says, didn't I say you'd see the power of God? Move the stone. Isn't that interesting? He didn't move the stone. He told his disciples, move the stone. Then Jesus did what only he could do. Lazarus, come out. He spoke the word and he spoke it personally to that dead man, called his name. Someone's jokingly said it's a good thing because if the Lord had just said come out, a whole cemetery had gotten up. <laughs> but he called Lazarus by name. Lazarus, I'm calling you. You come out. And that man, four days dead, was given a new body. Renewed. And he came shuffling out in those grave clothes. Man, I hope I could have stayed around to see it. I don't know. It would be scary. But he came out. And then what did Jesus say to his disciples? Unbind him and let him go. Listen here. What are we learning from this in life together? We can do the work to prepare those and minister to those who don't yet know Christ. We, we can get things out of the way. But only Jesus can speak life into their hearts. And then as he speaks life into their hearts, we can help them be free. And they can help us as well. This is what Paul is saying here. This is your new identity. Do you imagine? <laughs> Lazarus said to Mary or Martha, his sisters, hey, could you all just get those grave clothes? I might need them again someday. Just hang them up back there in the closet. <laughs> you think Lazarus Went back and kind of looked in the mirror and kind of wrapped himself up in those old grave clothes. Not on your life. He never wanted to put them back on. I know they didn't celebrate Halloween back then. He wouldn't have worn them for Halloween. He didn't, he didn't, he would not do it. Matter of fact, before Jesus went in Jerusalem, there was a dinner. And everybody crowded around even more to see Jesus than to see Lazarus. There's a man who was dead four days. And he's, 
He's having a meal. Can you imagine being one of the disciples and Lazarus is sitting next to you and you say, could you pass the biscuits? <laughs> and he reaches out that hand and you kind of look at that hand, make sure it's still fresh and new. No, he's there. And he doesn't want to go back to those old grave clothes. Why? Because he's new. He's been renewed. My friends, listen. It's never wrong to say about yourself what God says about you. What does God say about you? If you're a Christian, this is how radical the change is. You can say this. Since I am in Christ, by the grace of God, listen. I am forever free from condemnation. I have been made righteous. I have been redeemed and forgiven. And I am a recipient of his lavish grace. I have been made alive together in Christ. I have been made complete in Christ. I am Christ's friend. I am a temple, a dwelling place of God. His spirit and his life dwell in me. I am a new creation. I am a saint. I am God's workmanship, his handiwork, born anew in Christ to do his work. I am a fellow citizen with the rest of God's family. I am chosen of God, holy and dearly loved. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. Everything I just said, God says of every one of his children. That's your identity. That's not boasting on yourself. That's boasting on the glory of God's grace that he would do that to a sinner such as me or you. But this is who we are. But if we do not receive this new identity and determine by God's grace, I will be who I am, then, friends, we're wrapping on those grave clothes and we're going back into bondage. The Lord wants us to live in freedom. What does it say in Galatians? It is for what? Freedom. That Christ has set you free. Life together in freedom. Freedom is not our right to do our own thing. Freedom is our privilege to do the best thing. The best thing. What is the best thing you can do? The best thing you can do is the greatest thing in the world... And the Bible is very great, clear on what the greatest thing in the world is. What the Bible says? The greatest of these is what? Love. The greatest thing in the world you can do is to live like Jesus. Live love. And that's the last thing I want you to see quickly here. Life together in love. In freedom, in purpose, in unity. But it all comes down to love. Verse 25. Therefore, having, away, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, 
For we are members one of another. Here he begins to remind us that what I'm about to tell you has to do with others and love. You look down at chapter 5, verse 2. Walk in love. How do you walk worthy? Chapter 4, verse 1. You walk worthy by walking in love. What does walking in love look like? All the things that are in chapter 4. Walk together in love. Now there's this great wardrobe change that he's talked about. Put off, put on. And we need to say, okay, I've got to change my wardrobe. I've got to change this season in which I live. I have to have a wardrobe that fits the season. You know, we're coming up here on Labor Day, right? How many of you know that there's supposed to be a change in your wardrobe after Labor Day? Did you know that? And I thought, whoever came up with that? I, I, so I found out, I asked, and I found out, well, you know, it goes back to the fashion houses in France. I said, oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it all comes from France. One time I was over in France. And I thought, I can't wait to get over in France. I actually was in Paris. I can't wait to be in Paris, see what these fashionable people wear over here in Paris. You know what I found out? They were all wearing black. There wasn't any color anywhere, just black everywhere. And so I asked, well, why do you all dress like that? Well, this is the way they dress in America. <laughs> okay. I just made that last part up once you know. Yeah. But, but they were all... They were all wearing black. And I thought it was just going to be like, oh, you know, flowers from Monet everywhere, you know. No, it's just black. What, what, what should be the colors in our new wardrobe? He says, well, you've got to put away this, put on this. Notice, put away lying for truthfulness. Verse 25. Put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Why? We're members one of another. I read once an old country preacher. He was quoting Psalm 116 verse 11 which says where David said, I said in my haste all men are liars. And the preacher said, well I've had time to think about it, and I still agree with David. <laughs> We're not to be false. We're not to be liars. We live in a culture of deceit and deception. The worst deception is to deceive ourselves about our own trustworthiness and honesty. Samuel Johnson, 18th century British writer said this, it is more from carelessness about the truth than from intentional lying that there is so much falsehood in the world. It is more because of carelessness about the truth than intentional lying that there's so much falsehood in the truth. Carelessness about the truth is a form of lying, exaggeration, flattery. Excuses, false promises, misleading statements. That's falsehood 
We're to put that away. They all violate God's call for us to be people of the truth. And when we deceive other believers, Paul says it's especially harmful because we are members one of another. You're you're deceiving members of your own family. You see, the truth is we are united in one body. And if we start injecting, if we start injecting falsehood into our body, it's poison. When we don't speak the truth to each other in love, we're poisoning the body. Destroys harmony. We must put away lying for truthfulness. Secondly, verse 26, put away wrongful anger for right anger. Put away wrongful anger for right anger. Look at verse 26, says this, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now notice it says, there's a right kind of anger and there's a wrong kind of anger. Be angry, but do not sin. You see, it's always okay to be good and angry. <laughs> good and angry. <laughs> the challenge is being good while you're angry. Okay? Some of you will get that later on. Okay? <laughs> I, I thought it was a quite brilliant insight myself. What is anger that's good anger? Listen carefully. The right kind of anger is the anger over things which God gets angry about. When your anger aligns with his anger, that's good anger. Some of the greatest advances in society have been because some people had righteous anger. Righteous anger. Over slavery and the slave trade. Righteous anger over God's hatred of racism. Righteous anger over the slaughter of the unborn. Righteous anger over an attempt to redefine marriage according to the whims of the populace. Righteous anger over the abuse of children and the elderly. Righteous anger over the sex trafficking. These things make God angry. And a person who does not get angry about any of these things has something spiritually wrong within them. The Spirit of God is angry over these things. Righteous anger is a sign of spiritual health. But, but, we must be careful we don't confuse right anger with wrong anger. Aristotle was not a believer, but he was a very wise man who lived four centuries before Christ. And he said this, anyone can become angry. But to be angry with the right person... To the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, and in the right way, that is not easy. Where's the line? Where do you cross over from 
the right kind of anger, which is righteous, and the wrong kind of anger, which is sinful. God says here, it's when it crosses over into selfishness, and that selfishness is expressed in an unwillingness to surrender it. Look specifically, verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. It means don't harbor your anger. Get it right. Take care of it. Don't, don't wrap your arms around it and hold on to it. This is selfish. We, we embrace our anger. We live with our anger. We harbor it. This is wrong, but it is also not just wrong. It's so dangerous because the devil loves it. Look at it. Verse 27. And give no opportunity to the devil. See, it goes with what? Letting the sun go down upon your wrath. Someone said, if you take, if you let the sun go down on your wrath, you're going to be taking the devil to bed with you. Don't do that. Deal with it. It gives a place to the devil. Usually anger is somehow associated with what we either perceive or we feel to be a wrong. We're, we're cut. That word for cut is picross. Our word bitter comes from that. And if you're not careful, if you don't deal with anger quickly and in God's grace, that little cut will become infected and that bitterness will become poisonous. And it will poison your system and you become contagious to people around you. And the people closest to you, your loved ones, are the ones who that bitterness spills out upon. This is what the Lord says. Don't you let the enemy get a foothold in your life. Think of the, the lives, the families, the ministries that have been devastated by anger. I literally read of a church that ended up totally divided. They had to sell their property. Two sides split. They actually called in some folks to figure out what has happened here. They traced it back and found out that the anger started when an elder of the church felt slighted because a child got a bigger portion at the church social than he did. Don't give the devil even a foothold. We must be, listen, we've got to be positively negative. We've got to put away some stuff and positively put some things on. We've got to put away lying for truthfulness. We've got to put away stealing for sharing. Verse 25, or 28 rather. Put away stealing for sharing. Let the thief... No longer steal. But rather let him labor. Doing honest work with his own hands. So that he may have something to share with anyone who is in need. 
Now, you have to understand that thievery in the day of Rome, it was not even really considered that bad of a thing unless you got caught. Is it? it was actually expected. Everybody does it. I was amazed this week. I was reading from R. Kent Hughes, a great Bible teacher, commentator. And he showed from a study that of the billions of dollars, billions of dollars that the big box stores, department stores lose in inventory loss annually. One study has shown 10% of the loss was because of clerical error. 30% of the loss was because of shoplifting. And 60% of the loss was theft by employees. And it was estimated that the cost of the items in the store needed to be and were 25% higher just to cover the cost of the thievery. God's command is clear. You shall not steal. But we've got to be clear that we're clear on all the forms of stealing. Padding your expense account is stealing. Using employee, employer's materials for your own personal work is stealing. Failure to do a full day's work for a full day's pay is stealing. Listen, employers. Failure to pay your employees a just wage is stealing from them, James says. Unreported income in order to deliberately not pay taxes is stealing. Host of others. God's answer is to call us to a higher standard. He doesn't just say, listen, God is never just saying, don't do that. Old covenant, you shall not steal. New covenant, no. Go to a higher level. Let the thief stop stealing. Let him start working honest labor with his own hands. Why? Here's the higher cause. That he may have something to share with anyone in need. There's a higher purpose for work, friends. The higher purpose is to thank God for the ability to work, to thank God for the ability to, yes, receive wages for your labor, but also from that to be generous to others in need. How liberating that is. And that's the reason some people are so miserable. The word miserable is connected to the old word miser. And miserly people are miserable people. But generous people are joyful people. Generosity is at the very heart of Christ's followers. What did Jesus say to his disciples? Listen, what did he say? Freely you have received. Now what? Freely give. I wonder how many of us here in this room are watching have as part of your financial plan to just set aside some resources just 
to bless people in need. You say, well, I thought that's what the church does. Don't make me get that mirror out again, okay? How did I hear last week? All right? Complete your financial plan. Put generosity in it. And bless your own heart. Put away hateful speech for helpful speech. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as building up, for, good for building up of others, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Put away, notice what it says, put away corrupting talk. You know what that means? Rotten speech. Just a general stink about it. <laughs> it's graphic. It means decaying, rotting you know, I remember years ago, we put some things in the garbage can at our house, and we, there was some meat products that were in there, and we didn't get it, the bag closed real well. Then we were gone for about three days. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we came back. My word, what a fragrance for the neighborhood, okay? And so, God bless Stephen. He volunteered to get in there with a hose and brush and, and cleaning detergent and clean it out. <laughs> of course, I volunteered him, but that's, <laughs> he, did, he did do it. That's, that's the idea of foul speech. You've you got to get rid of this. This doesn't belong to this new person that you are. You, you, you cannot. This, this idea of profanity, vulgarity, off-color jokes... Crude language, gossip, slander, hypercriticism, that stinks. Don't let it come out of your mouth. Because if it does come out of your heart, mouth, you need to go a little deeper. Out of the mouth where the heart speaks. You need to go back and say, Lord... It's not enough that we don't share hurtful words, but we need to share helpful words. See, higher. Well, I, I don't put people down. Do you build people up? Do, do you encourage them? Well, I've never said a hurtful thing to anybody. Okay, praise God for you. I'm sure there'll be a crown in heaven for that. But have you helped anybody? Have your words built anybody up? Do people leave your presence on a regular basis feeling encouraged, cared for? We need to ask ourselves. We can't put the standard down here and say, well, I don't do this, I don't do that. I've never said a harsh thing to anybody. What are we speaking to each other to encourage one another? The greatest reason to stop hurtful words listen carefully did you see this it's because they hurt god you say i didn't know god could be hurt well you better read the bible why do you think it means when it says verse 30 do not grieve the holy spirit of god by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption god is a person and in the depths of his divine heart, he feels. And when he 
hears this corrupt communication out of our mouths and he doesn't hear the encouragement, it, it grieves his heart. It, it, it grieves the spirit. And our time's gone because I'm going to Romania. Some of you are saying, don't say thank God right then. Please don't do that. <laughs> but just notice this. We have got to put off human vices and put on godly virtues. Verse 31, just listen to them. Put away bitterness. That's smoldering resentment. That's holding a grudge. Put away wrath. This word wrath means outbursts of wrath. Put those away. Put away that anger. That's that unquenched, simmering anger. Put away clamor. That means shouts and attack. attack. That means hard, loud words at somebody. Put away evil speaking. This is slander. This is defamation of a person's character. This is insulting somebody with words. Put away malice. That is an ill will that's in your heart that you, you actually secretly are happy when something is hard for that person. Put that away. That goes back to the B.C. That's not who you are. But now listen to God's higher level. For all those vices, here's the great virtue. Be kind one to another. Be tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. In two sentences, Paul sums up the law of all relationships. Treat others as you would want to be treated and treat others, listen, as God has treated you. Aren't you glad? Listen, aren't you glad that God was kind to you? Aren't you glad God was tender-hearted to you? Aren't you glad that God forgave you for Jesus' sake? Now, what are we to do? Pass that on. Pass that on. You say, well, they don't deserve to be forgiven. Did you deserve to be forgiven? What's the basis of forgiveness? Listen carefully. The basis of forgiveness, listen carefully, is that the debt has been paid. Your debt was not just glossed over by God. God didn't say, I get it. I'm holy, but... I'm having a good day. I'm going to cut you a break. No. God just didn't overlook your sins. God dealt with your sins in His love as Jesus took your sins and paid in full the debt that was paid. Why do you forgive someone else? Because your debt has been paid in Christ and you did not deserve to be forgiven. And now... You share that 
Yes, maybe to someone who doesn't deserve to be, give, be forgiven either. But you forgive out of forgiveness because the debt has been paid. Oh, it could be breakout day here today. I cannot tell you. I cannot tell you that at the heart of so many people's decades of joyless, miserable problems and their relationships with others, there's deep down there an unforgiveness that became bitterness. I don't know what that's all about, but I want to tell you something. The Lord does. And as He speaks to you about forgiveness, you may have to ask Him to pry those fingers loose. You, you try and say, Lord, help me to unclench and let go in Jesus' name. You'll get there by His grace. He'll do it. But I want to tell you, you'll be free. You'll be free. This is walking in love. As little children, beloved, you are loved, so walk in love. Walk in love as Christ loved us. And he gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus did not die as a martyr. He did not die as a person who didn't fit into society. He died as a sacrifice. He freely offered himself up for you. As the old song says, I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have hung on that cross in disgrace. But Jesus, God's Son, took my place. Amen? That's the gospel. Let's live it. Now, Lord God, all the praise goes to Jesus. All to praise, all the praise to Him alone. Glory and honor. Praise forevermore to Jesus. Lord Jesus, you're real. Forgive us for living as if you're not. Lord, you're, you've made us new. Forgive us for crawling back into that tomb. Forgive us for putting on those grave clothes. Forgive us for the rottenness of the old life that we've let been, be in us. Oh Lord, set us free free as we are free to walk in our identity in Christ. Oh Lord, I pray that you will set people free this very day. And Lord, you'll do it by your love and make us free to love. In Jesus' name, amen.